Hi, this is Viv and you're listening to the new episode of If I Did, You Can Too. And the guest that I have for you guys today, oh my god, I am so mind blown at this very moment because I did not see this coming. I I knew she was a badass, but she's like next level. So I feel like I really shouldn't say anything in the intro to be honest because I'm going to spoil the whole thing. I want you guys to hear everything from her because she's the queen, I'm telling you. Uh, but before going to her story, thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for all your comments and ratings. If you haven't done it already, make sure to comment and rate us on Apple Podcasts, which will help us so much. And also share this content with your friends and family and everyone. Tag me, I'll restore you, and we can connect. Perfect. Now let's get to the story. Why don't we get inspired? Okay, so we have Awin right here with us. Awin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my dear. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Ewan Tavakoli, uh, based in Zurich, Switzerland. I'm a Kurdish-Iranian um, lawyer, business advisor, international award-winning speaker, and mentor and coach for lawyers and also for business owner. Happy to be here with you. Wow. Okay. I don't even know where to start, but we had a talk before this, so we're just going to start right from the beginning. From the story that you were in Iran and how you changed the whole thing. Not like a normal teenager. I'm pretty sure you didn't even have a normal teenage year. I had a crazy teenage times. <laughs> Not the normal one, yes. Yeah. Let's go ahead. <laughs> Let's go ahead from the beginning. Teenage time, crazy times. Well, yeah, just, um, I mean, starting from also very, uh, my, my very little age is that one funny thing started actually with my first day of school. Uh, as I went to school, I think I was the only baby girl, let's say, uh, and the whole schoolyard uh, was not crying the first day of school. I did not understand why these people are crying. I mean, everybody was like accompanied with their by their parents and like being delivered in the schoolyard. It was so beautiful. I found that garden so amazing, so beautiful. And those days that school building to me, it was like a huge complex and like a huge um, like place to be. And I was just thinking, I'm so small here. Let me explore all of this. Oh my God, look at those trees, look at those buildings. And I was busy exploring stuff and I saw kids are crying. I was thinking, what are they going to do with us? Why everybody's crying? Is it a kind of like a detention center or what, what is going to, to happen to us? And then um, I really got uh, some kind of conversation with some other little girls and say, why are you crying? And say, yeah, we're going to stay here the whole day. And this is going to be every day for one year. And I was like, but this is a cute place. And look at us. We can all be friends and play. Look how much space we have to play. And suddenly those two girls on my right and left side, they just, somehow they got embarrassed. They felt embarrassed or ashamed and they stopped crying. And I remember their moms approached me and say, did you put magic on these kids? We are now negotiating with them for like 45 minutes. We need to go to work and we wanted to bring them to school and go back to work. But they didn't stop crying and we felt guilty and horrible to leave them right here. And I said, no worries, I'm going to take care of them. And those two girls happened to become my best friends, actually. And that was the story of also diversity in my life, how it started in the very first day of school, that one of them who was standing on my right side was a Jewish girl, and one of them on my right side was an Armenian Christian girl. And I was a Kurd. I was myself, let's say, the outliner in my own hometown. So that was like a kind of friendship bound that it started. I mean, they both, of course, moved out of Iran in, in very early ages, unfortunately. But uh, a great friendship started with that very first day of school, me trying to calm 
down crying and yelling kids from uh, uh, from shouting and screaming for their parents. And suddenly I found my first two, let's say, uh, I would say non-Muslim or diverse friends in a very early age at the first day of school. Uh, that was, that was something cool that I could just get this started with. And the whole thing just went on, went on. And as you just mentioned that I was not a normal teenager, I was not even a normal kid. And I'm just not a normal person, a normal human at all. Because I think there's a very funny saying that I always use. There was a time in my life that I tried to be normal for two minutes. And that was the most boring two minutes of my life. It's a funny quote because I couldn't stand it for more than two minutes, to be honest. So, and I have to say, due to where I was born and raised and grew up, I, you can imagine that I also paid a heavy price for that, for being different, for acting different, for uh, having different interests, different hobbies, uh, different perspectives and different, let's say, um, perception of, of lifestyle or of winning. Uh, throughout also my teenage time, yes, there has been a lot of like confusion times. Yes, I was always the best or let's say the top student also in the school, but I had also a lot of other things that were like pushing me to other fields, other hobbies, other interests and other skills and talents. One of my, let's say, uh, how to say, one criteria that always like made me different amongst other kids was my interest for knowing everything and asking a lot of questions. Uh, so th- afterwards, as I grew up and I started like reading books and I found my favorite scientists or philosophers, etc., I could relate with um, Einstein so much because he was one of the only scientists or let's say great uh, influential personalities in the world who was giving the word curiosity a prefix as holy. He was always say, keep holy curiosity in your life until the end of your life. And I know why this person was calling curiosity something sacred, something holy, because it is like something that you need to respect and admire. So to me, this is something that was, that has been always a part of my personality, asking a lot of questions, being curious about knowing everything, finding out stuff, exploring things, going to new places, meeting new people. And of course, it gave me also a hard time. I told you I, I paid a heavy, heavy price, a, a big price for all of this. But at the end of the day, it all did not stop me from still continue exploring, from still approaching new people, from still getting into new opportunities, taking massive risks, doing crazy stuff in my life. But people are calling them crazy. But to me, they were just like a new chapter, a new door into something new, into a new perspective, a new experience, going to a new country, meeting somebody new out of the blue. And that feeling of like being fearless, which in the course of time, I learned actually that being fearless is different than being courageous and being brave. Because as I grew up to a woman, then I started like recognizing and appreciating and acknowledging fears as well. And not trying to, let's say, getting away from them or like ignoring them or like finding them annoying, but thinking like, Fear is actually a funny part of our life that's something like a kind of fuel towards pushing you to do something new, but it's like attracting you to this. But at the same time, it's giving you that push and say, hey, it can be scary. And for people like me, that when you try to tell them, don't do this, it can be dangerous or it can be scary. And it turned me on even more. That is something that I found. Actually, fear is my best friend. 
because that is the invitation to me inviting me into the ring, into the challenge. And that is something that actually I need to build a friendship with. So I stopped calling myself fearless and I started calling myself a courageous, a brave person. How to face the fear, how to recognize it, identify it, and also analyze it. And that actually became in the course of my career, also one of my strengths in my expertise and experience to become a risk mitigation specialist. Because a very good friend of risk always being invited by risk to the challenges and at the same time knowing how to deal with them so that we pay the least price but make the best out of risky or let's say scary novum. This is how lawyers call it, the novum. I mean, in Latin language, it's called the new things that you don't know, the unknown. Because the fear that people have is not the feeling that the fear of uh, the new, it is the feeling of leaving the old or leaving that old chapter behind because they don't know what the new is. So they cannot be afraid of. So I do not really accept this, this theory of like, Oh, human being has a feeling of the fear of unknown. No human being do, do not have the fear of unknown because how can you be scared of something that you don't know? You have the fear of leaving what you already felt comfortable and got used to and you feel familiar with. This is something that. It's in all of us as a newborn child. It's already ingrained into our brain. Whatever we feel safe and familiar with, that becomes something like a kind of habit for us. And that becomes something that when we know it, then we are not afraid of it because we know how to deal with it. It is like exactly finding the way from school to home. You're not afraid of if you have tried it already for five times. That sinks, that sits, that becomes, let's say, the queen of your mind or your brain. And that becomes like a kind of autopilot. This is something that I just thought I, I give it as a kind of lesson as I got it out of going into crazy, scary, challenging chapters in my life, but then put them all together, somehow engineered all of those, let's say, adversities and experiences, and then in the course of time, leveraging them into my advantage and also trying to serve and also conveying those messages, teaching those lessons, and also spreading the word to other people. Because I think I'm a born servant. I mean, yes, I'm a very, um, let's say, dominant person as well. People call me an alpha leader. I'm pretty comfortable hearing that. That's no problem. I see it as a kind of compliment to my confidence and to my courage. But at the same time, I'm a born, let's say, warrior protector. And the protection part is something that is being embodied in my service to others. And that what made me actually ultimately a lawyer, a business advisor, a, an international speaker, because I found that there are messages that I have in me. There has been lessons, experiences, challenges that I can bring them up on larger stages and to convey the message to others. Maybe one person somewhere in the world is sitting there crying or being isolated or upset about that problem. And it doesn't know that there's somebody else in the world who have already gone through that challenge, found a solution, got away with got away with it, and now standing over them instead, instead of standing within them. And that is actually one of the reasons that I uh, not chose, but I was somehow pulled into this whole public speaking um, scene as well, which was something that I had it actually ever since I was a child. I was always with a mic speaking or singing or trying to talk to public uh, or to, to more people than only one, than my family, etc. Um, yeah, this has been, this has been quite a journey. So if you have something specific, I'm also very happy to answer because the whole thing, I could now stay with you for three days. 
or we could write a book about all of those things. Yes, I'm also writing a book. So now I just disclose that fact as well. But um, the there were like really, really different chapters that I have gone through. And from every chapter, like I engineered something out of it and I put the extract out of it or the gist or the juice out of all of those challenges and the lessons and the achievements, of course, because that is what at the end of the day make challenges very sexy. That is what you achieve out of it. When you have the juice, when you have the gist and you are able to make it also to a service that can help other people move from A to B, that is something that you feel like, yes, this is success to me. When you can make an impact and influence on somebody else's life or business or whatever challenge that you're dealing with. So tell me what you, what else you want to know. I'm happy. I'm here to answer all of your questions. While we were talking a little bit back, uh, you told me that you are unemployable. I want to explore that part. Let's just start there. <laughs> you picked that term, yes. I mean, my um, very, very, very previous, let's say, I wouldn't even call him a boss because he happened to become one of my best friends and mentors in my early 20s. Uh, this was something a title that he gave to me. And those days, I was very good at negotiating. I just told you, and I'm going to quickly also uh, reframe it also for our friends and for those who are going to be listening to this. Um, I was pretty good at negotiating as I started a real estate business in very early age after actually my graduation from my first uh, studies in university, which was to big surprise of many other people who knows me as the lawyer. I am a uh, former mathematician and statistics specialist. So that was my first studies. I was, um, I had bachelor in statistics and mathematics and after that i joined the world of banking and real estate because i didn't want to be employed by so-called let's say governmental institution or i don't know did the choices were like you either had to go to to teach somewhere something but with a bachelor that was not attractive at all because i wanted to teach like in uh, significant places like these days what i do or you had the chance to go to a, let's say, larger bank, which then in my hometown, they're all, they were at that time, all governmental institutions. And for me, that setup is still not something that I can deal with, no matter what country I am in. The setup with governmental authorities, etc. No, I have a problem to deal with those authorities because I am per personally a very, let's say, I, be I become, let's say, the leader wherever I go. Therefore, I get... Uh, pretty annoyed when I am in those kind of setups. That term came from that gentleman uh, who was originally from Frankfurt, a fine German decent guy, a banker, a German banker. And that was, let's say, my first so-called employment experience, but under so-called unemployable conditions. I happened to uh, find for them their uh, real estate, their resident real estate for a German bank in Iran those days. So I was, let's say, one of those pioneer real estate agents for diplomatic and uh, foreigner businesses in, in Iran. And those days, I think it was like a kind of, um, I think I was the only one in that company doing that. And with the age of 22, 23, I was like closing deals of, I don't want to now mention numbers, but those days for houses with with rental monthly rental price of 10,000 20 years ago 20 something years ago in Iran those prices there was something that with 30% of my commission I 
made hell of a money with the age of 24. So that is where I became a, a millionaire, let's say the first millionaire, maybe in my family, in the whole ecosystem with that very young age. And um, at that time, I got actually, I somehow recognized the powers and the talents and the skills that I had and started also polishing those skills to become better. Let's say I used to learn a lot of things about intercultural relationships international negotiations because my clients were from all around the world and I was like helping them from the moment that they were uh, let's say that the plan the plane was landing in Iran in Tehran airport they were like there by themselves and I was there just finding them their accommodation we're talking about like high level let's say high end uh accommodations for for companies for um embassies and also for for the attaches of their companies or those those embassies so that they used to live in pretty decent conditions and so at that time i got my network out of the highest level let's say landlords in in tehran and around tehran as well and it was also a matter of trust because i remember for the first time that one of them was looking at me as, as he opened the door and said you you want to you want to rent this place and i said yes sir is there any do you see any problem here he said you are not even my granddaughter. So how do you want to deal with this? This is a house that has been resided by the German embassies, by Norwegian embassies. Says, Sir, let me, let me do my work. And if you're not happy, it's not going to cost you anything. Let me finish this. And I remember that gentleman actually became a very good friend of mine. And I also became friends with his kids. Um, because he said, you negotiated like a little monster. <laughs> about the terms of that contract. And then I closed the deal like after two days, because from the moment that I visited his property, one and a half days ago, I brought the ambassador of Norway into his house and then the deal was closed and it was done. And he was like, how did you find this person and how did this person trust you? I said, I'm a very good friend with the cultural attaches of Norwegian embassy. And they and he informed me that our ambassador is coming and he just put our hands into each other hands and then I just brought him here. I didn't do any marketing. I didn't do any business. So the business hat is off. It is a matter of trust. This gentleman trusts me. You having the right property. I know what he needed and I knew what you're looking for. So I just put one and one together. I'm a mathematician. So it's very easy for me to do this calculation. And the deal went through like, I don't know, in a wink of an eye and it was a high level closing. Uh, I remember that I was uh, celebrated by the whole agency at that time. They played, made a party for the closing, etc., because it was the highest amount deal which was closed at that month. And I was there only three weeks. So everybody was talking about me like, oh my God, this girl who just came, joined the agency three weeks ago, she just closed at 10,000. And for other people who was joining the agency, they were not even allowed to talk about 1,000 plus in the first three months of their career. And this is something that brought me also to this, let's say, gentleman that I just taught, uh, talked about, because I uh, provided them the residence for, for the German bank, which is the second largest German bank called Commerzbank. And those days, uh, they all had offices still in Iran prior to the tough sanction times and the financial isolation of our country. And at that time, I brought him into his new residential uh, property, and he was just looking at me as he was smoking his cigarette at that time. He was saying, where did you learn all this? I said, 
What do you mean, sir? I said, you are negotiating and we're all like 20, 30 years older than you and you're bringing us together and you know the culture, where I come from, you know, you're negotiating with that old, rich landlord, Iranian guy, and I am a German banker who under- doesn't understand the culture here. You're bringing us together and you came alone. Your agency sent you alone. How that? Would you like to join our bank and work for us? So that was the start of our, let's say, clash. And I told him, sir, nobody has ever dared to ask me work for him. He said, what? Why? Anybody else would have run for this because we were paying in euro those days. I mean, it was like after a very short time that the German currency also shifted from uh, Deutsche Mark to, to euro. And he said, we're paying you in euro, not in real. I said, no problem. I'm earning already dollars here. I'm doing this real estate. And every week I'm closing crazy deals with less work than being employed somewhere like from nine to five is never my world. And I hate the term if I want to work for somebody. And he said, what do you want to hear? I said, you can approach me better by saying, can we work together? Would you like to work with us? And he said, oh my God, you are negotiating like a lawyer and you are an unemployable. And at that time I was talking about some kind of like um, astronomical uh, experiences, because that is one of my greatest passion as well, ever since I was also in, in the high school, uh, astronomy. I, I love the, the science of stars and um, the planets. And I always also followed NASA very closely. And he said, wow, this is your passion. This is your hobby. You're negotiating like a badass lawyer here and you do not want to be employed. I said, yes. What way are you asking? He said, because I'm looking for your new title. And at that time, he said, what is your name? I said, my name is Ewan. He said, okay, Ewan is the unemployable astronaut lawyer. So that was my, let's say, uh, the brand that he created for me, not knowing that um, a couple of years afterwards, I... Uh, indeed became a lawyer as well. So I don't know when the astronaut part is going to take place, but uh, yeah, this was how this term unemployable uh, started to become a part of my uh, professional um, criteria, character criteria as well. Story of the German banker and the unemployable astronaut lawyer from Iran. I love it. This is like a collection of Short stories after short stories. Yeah, we can cut all of these. Why not? <laughs> and making also. Sh- no, I love it. I love it. You can make snippets out of all of this for sure. Ewen, uh, then you left Iran, right? Yes. And then where where did you go to, and how did you become a lawyer? Hmm. Okay, the next chapter of the book is coming, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's let's uh, do our movie also around all of these stories, right? Uh, well, how I how I left Iran, it was not something that it was in my plans, etc. It is something, you know, I never used to plan for my life. Yes, for daily things or like for my business, etc. Yes, I always have plans because I believe uh, whatever you have plans for, you can also have progress in. Because uh, I don't think that whatever is not on your agenda, it means it's not your priority. So plans really uh, carve out and define your priorities. And that all will bring you closer to what you have as goals. I always have goals, but the plans just start like engineering themselves uh, or reverse engineering themselves while I am looking at a, 
bit like 10 steps ahead to something that I want to have. And then I think, okay, I just cannot get there by coincidence. I, I go there by calculations. And there is where planning comes into my life. But however, leaving my country was also not never a goal for me at that age. Because to be honest, I was living a, life, a princess life uh, in, in back in those times as my, I don't know, other peers or fellow uh, friends, they were even in higher positions. I do not want to mention any numbers back then, but uh, I was like, I could buy all of them, to be honest, everything that they had. Uh, but at that time, as I started working with, with, not for that uh, German bank, uh, I started also to disrupt the whole way that the office there has been operating in my country. And uh, creating like new systems. I was the first one who brought like internet into that office. Don't laugh at me. Yes, we are from that generation. Uh, it was back in, let's say, early 90s. I mean, come on. So almost no Iranian office was, let's say, equipped with, with internet or, or emails, etc. So I brought all of those things and I was always telling him, Ralph, you need to grow your, expand your perspective. This business will not work like this. You cannot go every day only to meet the Iranian bankers, etc. Iranians are very uh, active and also they have high potentials for technology, etc. Why we do not bring all of these connections and also internet into our office. We can expand our relationships. We can send out people emails and inform them about news, etc. And he said, you little monster, you have ideas. I said, yes, I do. If you let me implement them, then this office will be the star amongst all this, let's say, foreigner bank office in Iran. And he listened to me. That is what I loved about him. So he was not somebody who was like telling me, oh my God, you're crazy or just laughing about my ideas, etc. He was listening to me and I remember normally the next day after going to his office and sharing my crazy ideas, as he was always saying, as I was knocking at his door, he was saying, oh my God, what else <laughs> needs to be changed in this office? And I was saying, look, take take your pipe, take your cigarette, I'll bring you in a coffee. We need to talk about how we are dealing with clients, how we are dealing with letters of credits, how we do next deal with this uh, national oil company and the Iranian central bank. I'm going to accompany you to these meetings, etc." Funny. It was very funny because in most of these, those meetings, everybody was saying, who is this little <laughs> person with this, let's say, big guy, etc. But he was saying, she is my brain. That was very, very funny. This is how I was introducing me to everybody. Everybody was saying, who is this little, is your assistant? I said, no, she's my brain. So this gentleman was actually my catalyzator or my push or my fuel towards learning a few other skills in my life and also the door opener for me to expand my perspective as I have been always pushing him to expand his, he then somehow automatically returned all of those to me by encouraging me to learn German at that time. And as I was telling him, oh my God, I yes, that may sound very odd and very weird, but I fell in love with this language. I know nobody loves German language, but I didn't like it. I loved it. And I said, Ralph, I need to understand all of these things that you're saying. When you go on the phone, I lose my focus and I can't work and I'm just listening, although I don't understand. And he said, what? He was always, you little monster. How, how come that you love German? Nobody, everybody loves French and Italian and you love German? I said, yes. And he said, okay, why don't you learn it? I said, good, I will go to the German embassy school tomorrow and you give me a letter because I know that they do not accept people just like that. So you need to have a recommendation letter. And I said, and it was like 10 minutes later before he left office. I said, what are you doing? And then you need to go. He said, didn't you want a letter here? And he was that kind of person 
who also pushed me towards really integrating the speed of implementation of ideas into my life. Because a lot of people have great ideas. I personally like I'm a flood of new ideas every single, not every single day, but every single hour. But sometimes I get so overwhelmed by all of them that I somehow will never manage to put all of them into action. And yes, some of them, they just get wasted or go in vain, which is a sad part of having a kind of uh, volcano in your brain. But he was a kind of guy that I said, I just said, look, but I need a letter of recommendation for that place if I go there one day. And he said, you don't go there one day, you go there tomorrow, here's your letter. And I said, oh my God, but it's far away and morning traffic. He said, here is your half day off, go take care about it, come back with your registration and it's fine. And then I came back, I said, look, I wanted to register, but the classes are like three days a week and they're like three hours, etc." He said, I told you to go to register and not to come back and ask me that it takes one hour. I said, look, but I, I am unemployable, but I am officially employed like 100%. He said, no problem. I talked to our head office, so you will come three days a week, half day. Because at that time, he was also thinking very disruptive and, and uh, ahead of his time. He said, I don't care how many hours you're here. You deliver great work. You bring ideas here that generates more and more and more revenue for us and triple or maybe sometimes even 10x our revenue for the bank with your connections, with your type of uh, action in the meetings, etc. So I don't need you to sit here. Go there, go out there, explore whatever. And I know in the few hours, five hours, 12 to 5 when you're here, because he knew that at 5, at quarter to 5, I leave to sport. So that was non-negotiable. And he said, I know <laughs> for that five hours that you're here, I know you do the whole work for the whole day. So take that uh, advantage and go do it. That was, let's say, the push for me, because as I go went to register in the German embassy school for language, half of those people were non-Iranians. Also the, the teachers, they were mostly native German-speaking people. And the books that we were having, it was like mostly about Germany, the culture, the history of Germany, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought, hmm, actually, I need to go and travel. And I came and talked about that with him. And he said, you don't just travel. You go there with a plan. I will talk to the head office so that they give you an internship. You go to Germany for a couple of weeks, you meet the head office. And for me at that time, you know, I had that calendar in front of me in the office. It was hanging like almost for a year or and a half in front of me every day. And at that time, that building of Commerzbank, it was the highest building in Europe. That building was hanging like for one and a half year in front of me. And I was always seeing me there saying, hmm, this building is so magnificent. I would like to go there. I would like to go there. But it was never in my mind that yes, two months after that discussion that we had, I was standing in front of that building in Frankfurt City in the Commerzbank main building with my old books and notebooks in the hand for the few weeks of internship in Germany in the head office. He said, you will go there with class. You just don't go there as a kind of confused tourist with your backpack, etc. You go there, I will make introduction in advance to the head office that everybody can receive you and take you. At that time, one of those guys was like the, let's say, number one Forex guy in Germany who took me to Frankfurt um, for stock exchange, Frankfurter Börse. He spent one day, full day with me to teach me and to give me a tour in the whole uh, Frankfurt stock exchange, etc. So that was a time that was the click for me to start like 
moving my wings because I, he told me, in this country, it's fantastic. You can achieve a lot of things, but you want to fly. And this is like a cage for you when you cannot move your wings. You need to go out because success and growth happens out of, out, outside of home. That was amazing. That is something that he told me 25 years ago, actually. No, 22. And that was, let's say, the first start of uh, that journey. And so I went to, to Germany and also some other countries, actually. It was a kind of a two-month trip in my young age that actually nobody in Iran was getting a visa at all. So that was also another process, how I got my visa by the German embassy driver delivered to our office instead of me going there in the queues, etc. It was a whole total different process. And also thank to my friendship with the, with the uh, guys in, in Swiss embassy, because at that time Switzerland was not also a Schengen country. I got also my visa for Switzerland in 45 minutes. And that is what I always tell to people. The power of strategic networking is going to loosen and facilitate a lot of things in life. And it's going to save you massive time and resources. So this was just a comment in between about why these things happen that way. A lot of people were telling me, oh my God, you were so lucky. Nobody could travel out of Iran those days and you did it that way, blah, blah, blah. So it was because of the relationships that I built and because of the choices that I made. You know, success, as one of my coaches said, success is not a matter of choice. It's a matter of chance. Sorry, it's not a matter of Correct this, or maybe we just leave it here. Success is not a matter of chance, but it's a matter of choice. No, let's leave it. It's, it's authentic. Sometimes we make mistakes. So that was something that had happened to me at that time. And it opened new doors for me because I remember a friend of mine in Germany who just gave me a tour around like Frankfurt or let's say universities and colleges, etc. One day she took me to Goethe Institute university and i went there as well and i stayed there like for half a day just exploring the whole like cafes and 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 um uh, uh libraries libraries so sometimes i mix up the german ones as well the libraries etc and then i was in the reception and in the cafes so at that time there was like a break uh from of the of the people who were working in the uh, let's say student council of the university and i just said i'm gonna practice a little bit of my german with these people and see how is it to study here and that's it the next day i got also my admission from the goethe university for my master's studies this was like crazy craziness so sorry for my language but this was like crazy shit in words People were saying, how, what? We are like applying for universities for months, for months, and everything is being rejected. You just go there and have a coffee? I said, yeah, because I decided to be in the right place in the right time and approach the right people. And that is so important, how then you nail your presence and how you position yourself with confidence and also with clarity. When you talk to people like you know what you want, the doors will open. This is exactly, let's say, the embodiment of that amazing quote of um, um, uh, Paolo uh, Coelho, yeah, in the in the in the book of Alchemist. When you really want something, the whole universe will conspire and come together to make that possible for you. This is something that I truly believe in. But there is definitely hard work and a lot of, um, let's say, seeds planted uh, in the past. This is all like the fruit of what you have been already planting, those kind of seeds. And it's like a favor bank that you can then withdraw whenever I want, whenever you want, uh, when things happen in life. That was, let's say, the start of me thinking about considering uh, living for other countries. And yeah, at that time, I went back to Iran. And a couple of months later, I was in Germany. 
and uh, it happened, yes. And then I moved to Switzerland, and then uh, I decided to start over with my career because, you know, I can never be in one closet or in one drawer for more than I don't know how long. Sometimes it's been a couple of years, sometimes a couple of months. But then I thought, I'm in Switzerland, and actually I come from a family that all my ancestors were judges and lawyers but nobody happened to become a judge or lawyer in my family but my father had always that wish and you know we're a family of nine kids just letting you know this it's a kennedy family the whole football team is there but i just thought hmm maybe now it's time that i not only uh, uh how to say fulfill my father's dream and our family legacy but at the same time I always thought how cool it would be because I knew all of those highly influential people in the world. They had legal background. They were lawyer at a certain level of their lives. Also in the very past, like the older philosophers, etc. They knew also all about the laws of a state, the laws of, of a country, the laws of ruling a kingdom, etc. And I thought this has been like one of the most amazing sciences. I call it science, not career. And the whole history, of course, besides mathematics that I still have a lot of affection and respect for. And I thought, I have the mathematics in my pocket. Let's go to law. And then I went to the University of Zurich and the same happened again. I delivered my documents and uh, like two hours later, I had my admission to study law there. And I remember that a lot of people, even people from neighboring countries, they had to go through exams they had to go through qualification tests. They had to do German test or German language courses during their first semesters of studies. I was required none of those. Okay, I had my German, uh, let's say, qualification from, from the best institute, and it was like a top, top notch. And they had a conversation with me. So they saw, oh, my God, okay, you do not just speak this language. You somehow master it. We thought you're from Germany. And I was just a couple of months in Germany, I tell you this. And in Switzerland, they speak Swiss German, so they have a different accent. But uh, I'm very lucky that sometimes when I speak German with people from here, they don't think that I'm, let's say, a foreigner. They think I'm from Germany because the, the German is a high German. And let's say it's called like moderator German that I speak, luckily. That was also the story of starting in, in the legal uh, career in the University of Zurich mm -hmm. in Switzerland. But you're also a public speaker. Yes, ma'am. And you said you were drawn into it. It was not a choice. It was. It was. But I tell you sometimes, sometimes you are drawn into things in life that you are talented or highly skilled in, but you have never discovered the need or maybe the urgency or the urge to do that. Or maybe you think, okay, I'm a great speaker, but so what? What way should I do it? Or where should I? And suddenly you will find like callings in life that you feel like there are different chapters or different places that you're pulled into or different types of network or different types of people that you somehow pulled into those kind of people's relationship that suddenly it creates new paths or just, uh, let's say, you step into new ways in your life, although you never planned it. So it was never planned, but it just happened and it happened to be a very good happening because I, I mean, you see, I, I speak all the time. So I'm a woman and I'm a lawyer, so I can speak until tomorrow if you don't interrupt me. And I know when I speak, I have an urge inside of me of delivering value 
or adding value to others. Or when somebody leaves that meeting with me, either it's a friendly talk, it's a family conversation, it's a client meeting, it is a coaching meeting, it is a teaching that person or those people, I want them to go out of there with something added to their brain, to their life, to their emotions, to their plans, to their capacities and to their confidence. And having that mentality and also being, I don't know, gifted or also having the, the skill of uh, speaking like a waterfall about different topics, uh, that brought me then suddenly on larger stages that I had the pleasure to speak with, uh, I mean, really great leaders and needle movers in the world. Um, just to name a few, uh, Sarah Hugh Hilton, Lisa Nichols, uh, Randy Zuckerberg, um, Kevin Harrington, um, Graham Statham, uh, Vanilla Ice, uh, Harvey Specter. Uh, so to just name a few, let's say high, hot celebrities as well, uh, Moira Forbes. Uh, and that brought me into this also events and also into this kind of setups that I uh, go and deliver interviews at Forbes or I go talk in, in larger stages in different countries, actually. And what I do also with that is not just a speaking for the sake of speaking, as I said, speaking for the sake of educating and also adding value and solve at least one problem of at least one person amongst those people that I'm talking at. And one part of my speaking is also a lot with focus of legal education, because as it might sometimes my title said, I'm a rebel talent and I'm a disruptive lawyer. I practice total different than all other lawyers. I don't charge by hours. I don't do, let's say, a typical legal uh, practice. I help my clients as an entrepreneur before as a, as a lawyer, because I'm an entrepreneur also myself. So I identify their problems and I talk to them from entrepreneur to entrepreneur, but I help them or I advise them or I defend them like a mean gatekeeper lawyer, let's say, when it comes to those kind of things. And I do a lot of speakings also in those areas because I believe that education must be democratized and we are obliged and somehow responsible to share our knowledge. The times of those kind of, um, let's say, uh, suppressing or putting or storing those educations in those kind of closed and exclusive elite libraries, for me, they're gone Gone are those times. It is a time to come out, to talk what you know, to help people, to share your knowledge. And for me, knowledge is not power. That is one and only controversy of mine with my favorite philosopher, Mr. Immanuel Kant, who always said knowledge is power. For me, implemented knowledge is power and shared knowledge is multiplied power. This is what uh, drives me. And that is why I do public speakings. Yes. I love, love, love hearing your story. I cannot wait for your book to be out so I can read it or listen to it and then even have more conversations with you. Yeah, absolutely. With pleasure. I mean, this this uh, encounter or this chat between us has been like overdue. So I'm yeah. very happy and I'm very thankful that you like kicked my butt and say, let's do this, let's do this. And two, three <laughs> times I had to cancel because of crazy meetings or other engagements. But I loved what you did and you just didn't give up. And he just came back and said, hey, okay, when next? So, cool. <laughs> next meeting, next meeting. And we are here and it's a great pleasure. And I'm more than happy to share this space with you or to share a little bit of uh, insight about my personal and professional life with a super, super professional, amazing, esteemed uh, woman like uh, Vahide. I'm, I'm very grateful Thank to be with you, with so you here. Thank you so much. Tell us where people can find you. 
Where people can find me, the best place people can find me is my social media, my LinkedIn, my Instagram, my Facebook. I'm pretty well open and available for everybody and accessible as well. I almost answer all of my messages or my emails. Yes, it takes me hell of a time, but I think it is also out of respect and appreciation for that person who took the time to reach out to me and also gave me that opportunity to know him or to know her so that that person deserves at least a respond, even if it's a no, or if it's a no, I cannot help you or something, but the response is always uh, granted. Yes, on social media is the best place that they can find me. And also I have some platforms. I mean, of course, Clubhouse is these days something that is pounding and I'm running crazy rooms, especially about this new revolutionary trend of non-fungible tokens uh, called NFTs. And uh, I have launched them and I have started running them 23 weeks ago exactly. And I have been now known as the Harvard of NFT or the NFT college on Clubhouse because I bring like high level people from the legal industry, from blockchain, from financial industries, from art industry, um, and so on and so forth to bring them together so that we can look at also the challenges and the risks of this beautiful new challenge. And at the same time, uh, finding solutions because there is still neither a regulation for around NFTs nor NFT laws. There is nothing. That is why me, myself and a great powerful panel, I have started to, to with this mission that time. And I never thought I'm going to continue this for 23 weeks now and it's going to continue. So I believe that, uh, the knowledge is, is just massive what is being shared there. And, um, due to the feedbacks that I have received from people, it has been like extremely valuable and it has saved a lot of people's butts. Uh, when some Sometimes people ask me, what is your job? I say, I save people's butts. So um, this is something that I do. And I sometimes kick their butts when I coach them, actually. Uh, that's how people also know me as a kick-ass coach, because I believe that sometimes you need to force people towards their success if you know what potentials and what capacities they have. If they are not using it, they are sometimes uh, wasting it. And that's dangerous things towards the universe and the nature who, um, which gave us all of those things to be of uh, serving. So that was maybe a little additional comment to that. But yes, on social media, I'm pretty well accessible, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And um, yeah, happy to, to be of service for anyone who may need. You can find me everywhere under my complete name. So I'm not using any whatever names for me. It's Awin. It's one win, not two. So Awin, just Awin. And uh, Tabakoli is my family name. If you use, uh, I mean, if it's just spelling like T-A-V-A-K-O, K-O, let's call it when you do people K-O, L-E. So Ewen Tavakoli, I mean, the win is a part of it. The cow is a part of it. So I think I, that is why I became also a passionate kickboxer out of my first name and family name. Yes. Under Ewen Tavakoli, you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Clubhouse, wherever. Uh, Ewen, what would be the last thing you would love to leave people with? Leave the people of this podcast with? Something that I always tell people, I say, I'm busy building the new, no time to fight the old. And this comes from a quote of my amazing favorite philosopher, architect, scientist, thinker, and disruptor, Mr. Buckminster Fuller, who lived like 150 years ago in America. And he used to be an isolated person because of the way of thinking and acting. And he always said, you do, for, in order to make change, you do not need to fight the existing system or the old system. You need to create a new system that in the course of time, it makes the existing system obsolete. 
this is what I want to give to everybody. Listen to it again, because this sentence is a little bit like, Ugh, you have to just read it again or listen to it again. I encourage you to do that. Um, don't waste your time to, to fight the old, uh, invest your time uh, to build the new. That is what I have been doing. And this is how also my whole legal practice and my business took shape by building a new system, a disruptive system, and by having the courage uh, of stepping into the challenge because every fight is won before if it's sometimes fought. The time that you say yes to a challenge or say yes to the fight, half of the win is there. That's a part of my name, actually. That's why in my legal practice also, I have been on a mission to change or to disrupt that perception of winning. Beautiful. Thank you, Ewin, for coming on the show. It was a huge pleasure for me to talk to you. I cannot wait to learn more from you. Honestly, at this point, I'm like, I need to ask her to be my coach. This is not, this is not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> That would be my honor. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Same. Likewise, go ahead and say your goodbye, whatever way that you want to the audience, and then I'll do mine. Um, actually, that was a part of the goodbye, just to say yes to every fight and every challenge, because I was known to be a fearless person, but I was happily discovering that part of me that is actually becoming friend with fear instead of being a fearless, calling yourself a courageous, confident, uh, brave person who just gets, becomes friend with fear. I do not call, I, I do not refer to that mostly, let's say, newly trendy quote, like make fear your bitch. I'm telling, make fear your friend. That will be much, much easier. And then you can rule over it. Be the leader, be that servant leader. Do not be afraid. There's enough for all of us in the world. Scarcity is, is a perception. Winning is a perception. Be of service. This is how you can also empower people. You can be more powerful by empowering others. This is, this is, let's say, my goodbye word. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. This was Viv and Avon. And yet another episode of If I Did, You Can Too. Until next time. Bye-bye.